0: Online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the Book of Concord, which is what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture. And we do so with our cohort of Christ-Confessing Concordians. Today on our cohort, we have layman Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Sean Denzer, who is the director of worship and the chaplain here at the IC. Dr. Kevin Armbrust, who is the director of editorial, and I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. First, I mean, welcome to all of you guys, but the usual cohort guys, they're, they're always here, but Pastor Sean Denzer, first time on the show, awesome to have you on with us today. Thanks Great for to joining be here us. to in person. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. And uh, we're basically going to throw all the hard stuff at you, um, just so that you're prepared for that. We weren't going to tell him that. We were just going to do it. Well, Well, we're live on air now, so it's it's happening. All right. Strap Um, in. Well, now we've prepared him for it. This won't be as fun. Well, (laughs) to to prepare our listeners um, to have quality programming here, um, what we are continuing to cover is the (laughs) epitome of the formula of Concord. Why did he look at me when he said that? (laughs) And we are on Article 3, the righteousness of faith before God, and uh, we have covered What's the status of the controversy? We've covered this. Every article has the same basic layout. It's it's really awesome, really helpful for us. So what's the controversy about? You know, and, and specifically we usually highlight in there too what we're not talking about, I mean, there's other connected things, and sometimes we go on rabbit trails on this show anyway, uh, but we always like to highlight specifically what are we talking about here uh, and, and not really addressing some of the other issues. So we cover the status of the controversy, uh, and then we get into the affirmative statements. What is it that we believe, teach, and confess? And that's where we get that that wonderful phrase. It just repeats itself over and over and over and over again in the affirmative the- theses and then we get into the negative statements what is it that we reject and condemn what is it we we do not believe with regards to this doctrine this article of our doctrine and uh, and that's where we are today and and as layman slayton always likes to say it's a very negative episode when we get to part three um, (laughs) it's it's kind of gloomy here in st louis today a little overcast things like that so uh, i guess it's a good day to be (laughs) in the negative theses uh so that's that's our basic overview. Uh if you want to check out status of the controversy affirmative statements uh I'll save you a Pastor Sean's uh, uh gross uh oversimplification of the the issue um today. Um and just say what what we're talking about is the righteousness of faith before God. Uh that's 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 the oversimplification of it. I and can, I can tweet and that. negative theses. Yeah. All right. I'm glad that you're doing your job <laughs> as social media manager. All right. And uh, let's just jump right into the uh, antitheses or negative statements. Uh, we reject and condemn all the following errors, and we're going we're gonna to cover them all today. First one's really tough. This is paragraph 13, again, Article 3, Righteousness of Faith Before God. We're using the Concordia Lutheran Confessions Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and this is Negative Theses 1. Christ is our righteousness according to his divine nature alone. False. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and Wrong. we, we have made this point. We are highlighting this every time we go through. Again, this is a negative thesis. This is, this is false. This is a, and that was uh, Pastor Sean Denzer. So uh, go ahead and take us away. Why is this false? I think at first, uh, this one actually seems like it it should be true, maybe. Uh, Christ
2: uh, is righteous. He's perfect. He's sinless. He keeps God's law in every way. And we say, well, look around. Uh, We even like to say nobody's perfect uh except for jesus right so it must be his divine nature that uh makes him so perfect therefore who would want to have a man uh that is the object of our faith that saves us no it's got to be god who's the object of our faith and and there's where the word alone matters a lot uh yes he's our righteousness and he is able to be the perfect sinless son of god uh but he is not only Uh, A perfect, sinless God. He is perfect and sinless as a man as well here on earth. And that's why this can't be right. It's not that only that we believe in a divine nature that is perfect, uh, that maybe has some human baggage attached to it in some way, or or that it's only uh, some portion of Jesus. Here we're getting into another. I mean, the heresy of Christ of of ripping him into two parts again. Uh, to say that maybe it's only his divine nature that is righteous, that is holy, that is perfect, and that we should trust in. No, it's the whole Christ, and uh, and that's why this one has to be false.
0: So I've heard this uh, come into uh, uh, Bible studies, and I'm not necessarily saying in a Lutheran church or anything like that, Though maybe, um, <laughs> uh, that, uh, you know, and I can remember wondering this as, as a lay person and, and even into my early seminary career, like, I had to wrestle with this, and I was given a big, fat book called The Two Natures of Christ uh, by Chemnitz, and it, I took me a long time to read it but but I, i've heard this teaching right you know that christ on the cross he essentially sets aside his human nature for a little while and we're, we're going to get to the other side of that that also sometimes comes out but you got to wait till negative thesis number two for that one um but but that he does this by his divine nature and it, and it seems like to me that if if the 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 cost of our sin right in order to make atonement for our sin it requires the death of man because it is man that's at fault for sin. So this this is why it has to be negative, right? Because if he's just doing it according to his divine nature, then then sin is not satisfied for him. Or am I just going way off there? Lamus Slayton? Well, I think it
3: might even be more simple than that. This isn't how Scripture speaks. This isn't how Scripture talks about it. I think Pastor Denzer said very rightly, word alone. This is why we're word alone. This That's not what Scripture says. And so that's the... The first place we can start and say, "Okay, is this how Scripture talks about Christ being our righteousness by His divinity alone?" Mm, no, no. Paul actually has some things to say on that. So we start right there, the most simple, and then we we get to where you're at. I mean, you're not. I wouldn't say you're wrong, but it's 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 even more basic. Does Scripture talk this way?
0: Well, and and right, I mean, of course, we certainly want to start with Scripture, although I was kind of picking up on what I was getting uh, Pastor Denzer saying was the word as in A-L-O-N-E, that specific word. Am am I not tracking with you that word is, is the one that makes this false, right Oh it's always the word that Lutherans are yelled at about in this case
2: <laughs> in this case we don't want to we don't want to ever have these things be alone when it comes to christ's divine and human nature, and uh correct me if i 'm wrong, i'm forgetting which article is the article on Christ that's the one that f- the person of Christ you'll get to when we get to article eight uh but there, it's going to be the same point being made over and over again. You never split apart these natures of Christ. Mm-hmm. You never get the divine second person of the Trinity apart from the flesh of Jesus Christ now, because he is incarnate,
0: and that is a present tense. He is a man.
3: Don't divide them. Be. Don't confuse them.
0: Yeah. Yep. And and that's where I was picking up on, you know, what is at stake when we say that it was only Christ according to his divine nature alone show me that christ show me show me that uh that uh
2: second person of the trinity who is not personally united to the flesh born of mary there's no such god that's exactly what luther's getting at in the great hymn when he says you know uh of sabaoth lord jesus christ it is and there's no other god Uh, luther said elsewhere there's no other god except for the one who's in the manger right uh you will never find the second person of the trinity apart from flesh.
1: So, as I always say, if, if you want to understand Christology, you just have to read one verse. And it's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then listen to this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So as Pastor Denzer is saying, it's it's the flesh and blood Jesus, who is the very son of God, Right, They're not two different Jesuses running yes. around, where one is a human Jesus, the other is a God Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, there's one Jesus, and in him, two natures, right? 100% divine, 100% human. You cannot separate that. You, you can't say, oh, look, there's the human Jesus, and oh, there's the divine Jesus. No, it's, it's one person, as Pastor said, the, the personal union, Right. And so so this is, is really why you then get into how the church talks about this, right? the different ways we talk about the person of Christ. So we have the Gainus apotalismaticum, which is the, the one where the church confesses that whatever the Christ does, whatever Jesus does in order to accomplish our salvation, both natures are active, right? So that this is, the, is a scriptural confession that when, when Jesus accomplishes our salvation, he don't say, "Well, is that the divine Jesus doing it?" Or is it the human Jesus doing it? You say, that's Jesus in the personal union, both natures,
0: active. Right? And and I guess to play devil's advocate here. Don't ever be an advocate for the devil, please. I had
3: that conversation with my daughters this morning. Ever. They said, I like to do that. Don't Uh, (laughs) ever.
0: To to play host here on the show. (laughs) To keep the conversation moving along. So, so the argument that, that I guess could be made here is, is, is you, said, you said, show me that Jesus. And maybe they do point to some things where they say, well, clearly he's doing that according to his divine nature. Common one that I've heard is when he's doing the miracles, right? Especially right. like the, the mu- miraculous feeding, right? Of the 5, or the 5,000 or the 4,000, right? Well, who else can do that but God? Yeah, and that's exactly right. So the
1: church has always said, that's right. That's how we talk. We say, yeah, he did that according to, and then we name the nature that is what we see active in that action. So it, this great quote in Luke, right, where he, he goes into the desert and he fasts for 40 days and it says, and he was hungry. Well, of course he was hungry. but he, And it's but, like
0: physically impossible
1: to go 40 days without right, food. So, right. so you say he was, he was hungry according to to his human nature, but it doesn't mean his divine nature was inactive or taking a nap or not present. It simply means that that's the nature that we see active, okay? So we, we say this. We say, you know, he, he hungered, he thirsted, he was tired, he suffered according to his human nature, but his divine nature is still active in all of that, and it's still present. And so we, we, we avoid the error, which, which did occur in, our, in the early church often, of trying to pull apart the Christs, right? To pull apart the natures of Christ, um, and that occurred in different ways. Uh, we also try to avoid smushing them together, right? Some kind of mixing of the natures where you have this strange other nature created. No. We we do want to maintain, as Scripture says, that there are two natures, right? But there's one Jesus. And those two natures are active in that one Jesus. And sure, we see one active in, in you know, one less apparently active. And we say that. We say, according to his human nature, according to his divine nature.
0: And, and that's really helpful and, and what I was hoping you would highlight and bring out for us, because again, I I just, I hear the arguments come back and it's like, we try to give these, um, you know, um, you know, what's the words I'm looking for here we try to read into this right instead of just saying you know both are, both natures are there you can't pull the Jesus apart right mm-hmm. and just saying according to that nature we just say well he was only acting as God there right mm-hmm. you know only God and, and we pull him apart and so I guess you know kind of coming back to what Layman Slayton was saying you know uh, maybe it's just really helpful to say well where does scripture ever specifically say and he was only God at this point right hmm. yep right exactly okay because then the next one, and and I kind of jumped the gun and gave the the example of Christ on the cross, uh, and it's probably better to talk about the fasting and things like that when it's according to his divine nature. That's that's generally where you, you see that heresy come in and so forth. But this next one, which is paragraph 14, negative theses number 2 of article 3, Christ is our righteousness according to his human nature alone. And that's the one where I think probably more often than not we get the heresy when it comes to Jesus on the cross. Well, because God can't die. I mean, this this was heretic, little Sean Smith. Growing up was, you know, well, I mean, you can't have God die, right? I mean, and, and you know, how's how's God up in heaven and on the cross at the same time? And everything? Yeah, it just it's confusing. But we, we do need to talk according to His natures. All right, so go ahead and take this one. I'm going to throw it back to uh, Sean Denzer. Again. We have this wonderful hymn in our
2: hymnal that probably drives people nuts, but we got to sing it. You got to sing it on a Good Friday. Oh, uh, sorrow, dread our God is dead. And you're right. I mean, our instinct is to say God can't die and, and that's correct. Yet what do you do with Christ? I suppose the rescuing devices say, well, we want to protect God and make sure he doesn't have to, uh, you know, be there in the moment. So I guess, you know, you gave up his spirit. Maybe that's a metaphor for saying he, you know, exhales God. God gets out of the picture before, you know, the death blow strikes. Uh, but then think about what you've got here now. You've, you've lost in the balance against your sin, God himself. Isn't that what we need against our sin? Don't, don't we, need, we don't need a man to die for us. We could die for ourselves, I suppose, and that's no good news. We need God in the balance against our sin. Uh, so that's why it, I don't know who said this. I, I guess uh, there there are some theologians who've said this, but this one maybe is is less believable, I think, than the first one, uh, unless you're really concerned about preserving God's uh, you know impassibility and so much that you want to get Him out of the crucifixion altogether. Uh, but I think every Christian knows: look, if we're going to have a Savior, a rescue, a righteousness, when we look at our own unrighteousness. Then it's going to have to be God in the balance for us. Why does it have to be? Uh, but it has to be as human nature as well, uh, as one of you said, so that He's redeeming us. How can God redeem what He has not become? That's what's great about the incarnation.
0: Yeah. So just to give some historical meat to this, and I don't want to take us too far afield from you know what we're confessing here, uh, but just to give some historical to it you said you weren't sure who said this francesco stancaro is the one attributed with this heresy uh you can look him up if you have the concordia readers edition of the book of concord and that helpful little uh, glossary in the back Uh, he was a catholic monk um at the time and uh I, i don't recall a lot of other details also the the first one we can talk about um a historical context there too that was andreas osiander or Osiander, I've heard it both ways um but uh, <laughs> uh, or Andrew uh also called Andrew Osiander, um but uh and he was a lutheran and and so this one uh but yeah that's well yeah they can't see, <laughs> can't air, see quotes yeah, air quotes on the, on the radio there, dr ombers <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah he, he was a lutheran but he he had Some false teaching and needed to be corrected and and rebuked. And that's what they're doing here. Right. And and this kind of teaching and see, this is this is a, a helpful point then to talk about, too, is because this teaching does work its way into the pews. Right. It's not just purely in a, in the university and the academic setting. I know that's what a lot of people think about us pastors and so forth. Oh, that's fine for you at the seminary to talk about, right? And, and fill up all your time and everything. But what does it matter for the pew? And it's like, well, this kind of teaching does come into the pews. And one specifically with, with this, um, Second point, and this one can be really politically charged, but, uh, you know, something that Pastor Denzer was uh, saying made me think of this. You know, there's that common saying out there, you know, there's only two people who uh, were willing to die for you, the uh, Christ and the American soldier, right? Well, see, this one, again, I don't want to get too politically charged on this or too far <laughs> afield. And, and we're very thankful for the sacrifice of those who serve in our military. We're not being unpatriotic here or anything. But see, there's there's one thing. Um, that uh, has eternal value there, and and to equate those two is really just really quite unfortunate. I I
3: know Christian soldiers who would actually be offended by that statement, right? Yeah, because they're Christians, they would find that offensive to yeah. be compared to Jesus yeah. in that sense. Um, and when you talk about this making it into the pews, I think watch the LCMS page around Holy Week, especially Good Friday. Um, Easter Saturday, and then, then of course, Easter Sunday itself, and you will find lots of people. Um, I say lots over the four years that I've that I've been watching this. Say, well, I've been LCMS all my life, and I've never heard that God died. Right. You know that they'll they'll the this idea is offensive that God that Christ's divine nature was there on the cross and died or however we're going to talk about this but it they say you'll see the regularly nope that can't happen had to be just his human nature and then they usually don't necessarily go into explanations of how that works but you do see this especially at easter coming out on on social media most of my references are social media related if people haven't figured that out by now yeah and again, kind of like when we
2: finally get to Article Eight and get to the person of Christ, uh, I think this will be really opened up for all of our listeners mm-hmm. and readers. So, if you want to cheat and go home and read tonight, uh, <laughs> then you'll figure all this out. Get a little preview. Yeah.
1: And the other, the other thing to cheat on is if you go to Acts twenty verse twenty eight. This is such an important passage. Oh, yeah. Just this is just kind of one to have in your That's back great. pocket when you talk to somebody. Is that w- Paul says this? He says he's talking to the the. Uh, the elders at Ephesus, as he's kind of saying goodbye to them. And he says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So there we have Paul confessing that it's the blood of God that redeems the church. And, and I mean, that's a huge Christological mm-hmm. statement, right? Yeah.
0: He just slips it in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> as if this is obvious to everyone. Hello. Yeah, I, I think, and there's so many other places that this then uh, begins to, to be where the rubber hits the road then too, because we could talk about Holy Communion, right? You know, how, well, how can it be bread and wine and yet Christ's true body and blood? Well, I mean, when you understand this is what God does all the time, right? Especially in Christ, <laughs> the the incarnation, God takes on human flesh and and the, and you don't pull those things apart. Well, then... Yeah, how can it not be bread and wine in Christ's body and blood? And and it just starts to permeate so many very practical aspects of our theology, and especially I highlight communion because that that is very practical for the person in the pew is, is that they recognize that they actually receive Christ, his body and blood in with and under that bread and wine there for the forgiveness of their sins, which makes them righteous before God. Right, I mean, it, it all just really starts to pull together, justifies them, as we've talked about. We have a lot of territory to cover, so I'm going to jump us into the next uh, negative theses here. So this is paragraph 15 of Article 3, negative theses number 3. Where the righteousness of faith is spoken of in the sayings of the prophets and apostles, the words justify and to be justified are not to mean declaring or being declared free from sins and obtaining the forgiveness of sins. But they actually mean being made righteous before God because of love infused by the Holy Spirit, virtues, and the works following them. All right, so we, we kind of covered this under the affirmative theses. I remember Dr. Amber specifically uh, talking about this, of, you know, this this is what the words mean. We're defining our words and what we're talking about. And, and so they're saying, you know, they're talking about the words in terms of like this infused grace, right, uh, which... Uh, is very roman catholic in the in the theology so go ahead and uh, just give us a little rundown of that again dr umbers
1: so lutherans um confess with scripture that to be justified is god declaring something to us he's he is saying something is true about us and in in his declaration it is true right the word of god it does what it says and so when god says you are righteous um, by grace through faith because of what Christ has done, then that re- that justification is actually occurring because of his spoken uh, proclamation, because of his pronouncement or justification. But some people say, no, no, no. What happens is that Jesus simply allows God's gr- God's grace to work in us so that our inner new man is renewed and that infused grace then works with us and by the power of the Holy Spirit we're allowed to do enough good works especially love and charity that then God will be pleased with us and 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 they call that justification and we go, no, 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 whoa, no, uh-uh it's, it's not a working <laughs> it's not inside of us that justifies us it's God from outside of us declaring something about us and and see that's really the controversy is are you looking to what God says outside of you Or are you looking inside of you for some kind of quality or change or righteousness and that God justifies you on account of that? So we want to maintain the biblical truth that it's something outside of us, right, that God pronounces. It's not that we've somehow been changed internally and we look there for justification.
2: Yeah. So take everything in this sentence, in this paragraph, and reverse it, right? To justify does mean to declare free from sins. To justify does mean to bestow, and then to be justified means to obtain the forgiveness of sins. And it does not mean to be made righteous before God because of, and this is kind of the key part, the second half of the sentence, because of love infused by the Holy Spirit, because of virtues, because of the works uh, following uh, that infusion of the holy spirit and the virtues.
3: You you almost need a layout that says and the adversaries are saying this so that it's a little clearer in, in this particular one because we're I had this problem with with this one and then in number 4 which we're about to read. I had to read it a couple times cuz yeah. it's like okay, I know we're in the negative statements. I know we're in the negative theses. But it's become less clear what we're actually saying because of how we have to phrase that Without having an adversary to speak against, which in the apology was really nice, it's always clear because it's like the adversaries teach this: they're idiots, which I believe was actually said a couple times. <laughs> they're morons. Um, in this case, you, you don't have that, so you gotta be much more careful. And especially if somebody's just joining us now, 20 minutes into this, and you're listening live on the radio, and you heard us say that, and you might think, wait, 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 hold on. What are you Lutheran saying now? So even as we're doing this, it's like we're in the negative theses. These are the things we don't believe about justification and righteousness before God.
0: Uh, yeah, if you're listening to this in the podcast, I think you're good because you followed us the whole way through. Well, and, uh, you know, leave the hosting to me because you said we're about to read it. But, however, we're about to go to break. And then Fine. I have a really, really important question connected with this that we're going to cover when we come back <laughs> from break, which is namely, who is justified? Because I think that's important to hit here as well. So please join us right after this break.
1: Far north of the Alps, in the Jura Mountains, a boy and his grandfather are trapped in their chalet. A fierce snowstorm has cut off all paths of rescue, and that's just the beginning. get behind me. When doubt, danger, and death surround you, will your faith survive or will it be buried in the snow based on a true story? On the next Lamp theater
2: Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and
0: Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFuo. Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many
2: interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. You're a miracle. You know that, right?
3: A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that,
1: to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran.
0: Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast.
1: The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin.
0: Back to Concord Matters with our cohort of Christ confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Sean Denzer, Doctor Kevin Armbrust, and myself as your host, Pastor Sean Smith. And I gave us a question right before break that even even had, had, it got a little tense here in studio over break. I mean, I, I had three people looking at me, and, and they were a little little uneasy. <laughs> with what I was asking them. But I'm going to ask them again, and, and now we get to do it live on air. So let's play this out. So then my question is, all right, so this is what the word justify means, and and we're going to come back to Pastor Sean Denzer and that in a little bit if we ever get to it. But first I want to ask is, who is justified?
3: Oh, an easy silence. Well, I,
0: I think that because I'm I'm Joe sitting in the pew, right? Okay. I just felt like using the name Joe. I, I like Joe. Joe sitting in the pew. Yeah. All right. Um, Joe's and good, I want to know. a good
3: friend. I like Joe.
0: Yeah. Who is justified?
1: Am I justified? It depends on what you're asking, and why you're asking it, and that's not that's not being silly. That's actually true. Um, what what exactly are you asking? And what do you mean by "am I"?
0: Well, okay. So who did Jesus justify?
1: So the scriptures are very clear, and, and we confess this with, without any hesitation, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, right? First John chapter 2, verse 2, he died for the sins of the whole world. He's a propitiation or the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And so we confess that. When Christ died on the cross, he, he paid for the sins of every single sinner from Adam until whoever the last sinner is. And he did it. He wasn't insufficient in this. It wasn't a limited atonement. It was a full payment for all sins of all time. So we answer, just
0: lost all of our reformed listeners. Yeah, with, okay.
1: with saying it's not limited atonement. We
0: love them anyway,
1: but, <laughs> but it's not limited. And and that's a that's an important teaching of Scripture. So I think which that's is kind first. of comforting to me. as this Joe is sitting good in news, the pew. So I they'll I want be say. back. Well, so so what this means is is we can actually walk up to any person regardless of their of their faith and say or how they dress or what they look like or how they live or what they've done and we can say jesus died to pay the price to forgive your sins that's good news yeah that's good news very good news right
2: jesus died for you so everyone's going to heaven chaplain (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's very interesting does everybody obtain the forgiveness of sins does everybody have the righteousness of faith uh which is the whole point of this article That's the thing that may not be there, is faith. The Lord is making his declaration, and his declaration is for all people. Uh, Christ died for the sins of the whole world. So many passages that say that. Uh, Does everybody receive it? Does everybody believe it? No. And and there's where, why are some
0: saved, not others? Well, we'll have to go to a different article to find the answer on that, which is to say we don't know. Yeah. But but I think this is key because it is the righteousness of faith before God, and then to get back to our our Lutheran word alone again, right? You know, this is this is one of the great solas of the Reformation. It is by faith alone yeah. that we receive this, and faith means trust, right? And these negative theses are focused, especially you know, we talked about the human and
2: divine natures of Christ. It's got to be the whole package, the whole Christ. What is the object of faith? What is the what is that that we are believing? What is the righteousness that faith apprehends, right? And this righteousness is a righteousness that avails for all people. That's the point. Uh, Faith is to apprehend it, and nobody is excluded from it. It is a righteousness that is for the faith of everyone who will believe. Therefore, believe it. And you can say to absolutely everyone. I love how you said that. You walk up to anybody, and you don't have to say, "I hope," or maybe you might be. Or tell
3: tell me a little bit about yourself, so I can figure out if. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: (laughs) You can say Christ. uh, Christ has died for you.
3: which should make Lutherans
0: the best evangelists then, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So get out there and do it, Lutherans. <laughs> I give you the freedom to do this. But then this, I think, segues into another important point, which gets back to what Pastor Sean Denzer wanted to talk about. And and I'll segue this way. So so part of the uh, quote-unquote tenseness, uh, it wasn't too bad. I had my Starbucks here, and I, I, I was able to drink it at the same time. Um, and so it wasn't too bad. But, but what I brought up was, I said, we believe in universal justification— but not universal salvation. Right. And then my, my three, uh, guests here all wanted to kick me, me out of the studio. Like <laughs> they were going to take over, take over the radio. Right. And, and, it, and it came down to what seems like an academic discussion, but I don't think it's just academic alone. I think it does pertain to the person sitting in the pew. Uh, so even our lay listeners, it even pertains to layman Slayton sitting here in the studio. Right. <laughs> Is that, you know, what do we mean then by the word justify, which then does tie into this? this specific article again right yeah and 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 um dr armburst brought up in our break so our listeners didn't hear it um justify can mean (laughs) now he's staring at me to line up on the left margin (laughs) (laughs) that's that's true too Basically, I'm getting us into the question of what are we talking about when we use the word justify that yeah, our, our, for our reformed listeners who stopped
2: listening to us. You know, the reason we don't seem to make logical sense is because we're so dogged about sticking with the scriptures, all of them. And we're not going to marginalize some so that it makes more logical sense to us. We're going to have to just live with the fact that the scripture says, Christ you know, died for all the whole world, and uh, God desires all men to be saved, and yet some have shipwrecked their faith, and, and we'll have to live with all these. We're going to get our definitions and our theology from the Scriptures, as painful as it may be to us. The Scriptures are going to speak, and we're not going to silence them. Which, which leads to kind of the background of this article. This is definitely speaking against the Roman Catholic Church, the, the scholastic medieval philologians. Great, philo so now, now, that,
0: now we've lost our reform listeners. Now we've lost our Roman May Catholic as well. listeners. <laughs> uh, because
2: because this wonderful thing at the beginning of 15th, the righteousness of faith is spoken of in the sayings of the prophets and the apostles – that's where you find out what the words justify and to be justify mean. And, and we don't get those from other sources. We don't get them from common usage. We want to look, what do the scriptures, how do they use these words? Uh, and and uh, not only did Chemnitz and, and the authors of this, but others uh, like Flacius, who is especially a Hebrew scholar, uh, all of these uh, firm Lutherans were doing just that. They they wanted to ask the question constantly. What do these words that we're arguing about what do the scriptures present them as meaning? If you read the Bible and you look at all this word as it's used throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, what do you find about it? Well, the righteousness of God is not just something that comes and condemns. It's not just a standard that that marks you as falling short of it. It's, save me in your righteousness the psalms say over and over again it the the righteousness of god is that which justifies what then does that mean it means that it is declaring it is speaking on behalf of it is advocating for us not on the basis of what we've already done a conclusion uh well uh, all right now i can see that you're straight and lined up on the left side so i'm gonna say okay I'll put my stamp of approval on you. No, but it's that which goes out and rescues, that which goes out, delivers, saves, makes pleasing, um, uh, declares to be pleasing, and thus is. Uh, and and the Lutherans were... were Stubborn about that, they were not going to let this word justify slip away just because of what it, how it may have been used in other writings or the word, or the Latin. They were going to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew and and look at how the Bible itself uses it, which is this marvelous word where God is the one acting, speaking, declaring something that comes to be exactly like He says it. So, for those who are following along at home, uh, when when
1: when we're talking about the Bible and you look in this, you say it doesn't say Bible anywhere. Well, you've got to understand that prophets and apostles is one way to talk about the old and the new testament. So we commonly say, you know, the old testament is the prophets, and the new testament is written by the apostles and the evangelists. So that that's where we're that's what those phrases really mean in this article. And over the break, we we're talking about the difference of ways to use words, and and what we had brought up, what we had talked about was that some people use justification as a synonym for salvation. So that's when we're talking about um the the question of universality of this and if we say we believe in universal justification some people hear that to mean we believe that everyone is saved
0: no matter and, what
1: right and that's which that's my reform friends is
0: that's what they always think yeah. right yeah. we're not saying that and that's we're not. exactly that's that's not what we're confessing yeah all right very good stuff and we're also not confessing this whole infusion that gives us good tendencies that leads to our salvation and and that's tied in with good works which is coming up again in another negative thesis, and is the whole next article as well so we need to push forward so that we can make some headway on this (laughs) all right so uh paragraph 16 uh negative thesis number four this is article three faith not only looks to christ's obedience but also to his divine nature since it dwells and works in us and by this indwelling, our sins are covered. All right, so I'm going to false. grossly oversimplify. Yeah, false. <laughs> false. <laughs> so, so Christ lives in us and produces good works. Is, is my gross oversimplification of this one?
1: It's even more than that. Uh, what was going on was they were teaching that that Christ indwelling actually kind of cleanses us because it overwhelms our sin. Like there's just more divine nature than there is sinful nature, and so it's it's like. A, an overtaking almost. And what, what happened was as they taught this, they said, well, this isn't an instantaneous thing. This is something that's going to grow over the time of your, your life of sanctification. So what happened was in order to see if you had the divine nature in you, where did you look for assurance of salvation? You had to look to yourself and see if you were growing in good works, if you were growing in your sanctification. And what happened was they said, since since the righteousness of God is the very divine nature of Christ and you receive that through baptism and you are now and Christ dwells in you, then if you wanna know if you're saved or not, you look inside of you to see if the divine nature of Christ is actually cleansing you from kind of the inside out. And what that means is if I wanna know if I'm saved, if I wanna know if I'm declared right before God, I look inside of myself. And that's where Lutheran said, "No,
0: <laughs> false." Although some historical context here, this is another Osiander teaching, this right? So who is a Lutheran, and so the the, the true Lutherans, right? Uh, yes, uh, said false. Yeah, <laughs> and this became
1: what actually drove most of the controversy was these kinds of statements where he started saying this is a cleansing from the inside that grows over time and he he was unashamed of this he wrote this in pamphlets and and there became a big argument about you know kind of people taking sides which one was the true lutheran doctrine and which one was not and
0: mm-hmm. and, and luther himself all they need to do is quote him because he says i look inside myself and i see nothing but sin and death right right so now so, is it
2: is it true that uh that Christ actually dwells in us and and works in us, and that he actually covers our sins. Is that true? Yes. I think the tricky thing is here that we're not identifying that as justification, but that we are, it's it's very similar to the infusion of the Holy Spirit, virtues and works that follow them. Those are all true things that happen too, but they happen as a result of the declaration of Christ, right? Uh, that, That he forgives our sins. And, and, and we are forgiven, right? right? Uh, faith grabs onto that forgiveness of sins that he speaks, and from that grows all sorts of good works, all sorts of holiness in the Christian. Uh, but but to to slip it a little bit and to say, well, that growth, that's actually the thing that saves us and justifies us. That's to fall either, I suppose, in the kind of strange way into this Osiandrian teaching. But but at some, at some point, it becomes almost exactly like what the Roman Catholics are teaching by infused grace, faith that's formed in love, and only then are you actually justified before God. Did. Finally, we stop looking at Jesus altogether. He only got the party started. It's up to us. And actually what happened was
1: after Ender wrote this, and I think it was right after his death even, a Roman Catholic scholar said
0: he's basically teaching Roman Catholic doctrine. Yeah. (laughs) So come on back. (laughs) You're back in, which, which has happened even in a signing of a joint declaration of justification and things like that right now. I mean, Oh, we're kind of back with you now.
3: So we've talked about this in previous articles that there's this logical progression. So I'm, I'm you guys tell me if I'm making this up or if I'm actually seeing something that's there. But once again, I think we've got this logical progression happening in this, so the first two christ's righteousness, according to divine nature or human nature, okay, well, this has to be some quality in Jesus, but we have to separate these out. oh, it's not those, okay, so it's not those separate qualities in him that justifies it, okay, well, then it's got to be some quality of his that gets infused in us that justifies it either by these virtues or by his you know very nature alone indwelling us. And so I think we're going to – I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a progression of, okay, well, it's not his virtues in and of himself separately from each other. It's not his virtues infused into us. Are we then going to start see? okay, then maybe it's our own virtues in us that are doing this or something like that? Because that's kind of the progression we saw throughout the rest. Um, I'm just kind of wondering, is that – the first lo- ones at lo- least – I mean, it's oversimplification there, maybe. There's a but, logical
0: progression, but we're, we're – still- still gonna stick at least in the next one with uh, the, the virtues of Christ again. Okay, there's um, still a and, few more of those yeah, to cover. Th- yeah. this, this one's still, this one's my favorite, so I'm just going to go read it. Because this one lets me sin. <laughs> Alright. Uh, paragraph 17, uh, negative theses number 5. Faith is a sort of trust in Christ's obedience that can exist and remain in a person, even when he has no genuine repentance, in whom also no love follows, but who persists in sins against his conscience. See, this is the one where where the reformed, especially, would say, "Now, if you believe in this universal salvation thing, like you know, this one, there it is." Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a problem. All right, so go ahead and break it down for us. What? this is wrong (laughs) I suppose suppose some
2: have probably leveled this at the at the reformed also with the teaching of once saved always saved uh, right that well okay now I'm I'm one of the elect so I can go sin all my heart's content and uh, you know I'm saved so no big deal Uh, everybody has a revulsion against that uh, and and that's really what this article is saying yep we we revile that too when we get to the doctrine of election in in the formula here we'll get to see how it wants us to follow the pattern of the book of romans which lays out really the whole progression of a, of of kind of this logical progression of salvation and how this happens how we how we observe it too that yes we're dead in trespasses and sins but the lord saves us his word is spoken to us uh uh his law convicts us we we repent uh his gospel comforts us and we rejoice and we uh grow daily in good works uh we fight against our flesh that rebels against us uh and we take great comfort in the fact that christ is the one who Who is there to condemn? It is God who justifies. It is Christ who justifies. Uh, But whenever we try to take parts of that out or skip over parts of that, that's when we get into these oversimplification statements that really do come back to bite us. Things like, so you're saying, all that matters is if I believe in Jesus. Well, great, I believe in Jesus. Who doesn't, right? And, uh, okay, so I can sin as much as I want. Totally misses the point of it. Totally misses (laughs) what we're trying to be saved from. Totally misses the fact that, you know... Uh, repentance, uh, <laughs> what are you being rescued from? Is it sin? You probably don't want to come back to that, do you? <laughs>
3: Paul Paul kind of has some words about that. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may no! abound? No. What, Kevin, was that yeah, last week? I, I where like you're like, "Are you yeah. insane?" Yeah, the yeah. Doctor Kevin paraphrase yeah, version that was of Romans week. is fantastic. I
0: know it all. Yeah, go back and listen to that. I mean, it's, just, yeah, it's like, "Are you insane?" Yeah, uh, that that should have been our show title, but That's we right. missed the boat on that one. But okay, so let's push forward because we have, and and this is a logical progression. Is and as you highlighted there too, I just want to uh, reaffirm this that uh, you know you said when we get to the doctrine of election, and this is again why there's the logical progression of how the the formula of concord is even even written because we got to cover what sin is first right and then and then this issue of righteousness of faith before god and all these things are going to build upon one another it is a logical argument that we are producing here and they each have their own kind of sub issues that have come up too so this is uh paragraph 18 negative theses number six not god himself but only god's gifts dwell in believers. False and important in our day. We're concerned with mysticism. We're
2: concerned with this idea that we you know, be, either progress to become more and more like God until we're part of his essence. We're nervous about these teachings, which do run rampant in significant portions of Christianity. But still, Lutherans do not deny that God himself does, in fact, dwell in us. It's, it's not simply His gifts. Go back to a saying from Melanchthon, a good saying from Melanchthon, that, uh, you know, where, <laughs> where His benefits are, where God is, there His benefits are, and where His benefits are, there He is. Uh, you, you get the whole package. And, and here's where I think some of our Some of our communion hymns, that's where you do start to see some of this uh, relationship of the soul to Christ. And I think we get nervous with that. We know where people have gone astray with that, where they've said justification really is the Oseander thing. God comes and dwells in me, this almost bridal mysticism. But there is a place for that, and the place where that goes is, like uh, Frank's hymn, uh, Soul Adorn Thyself with Gladness, Right. Uh, that um, he has loved me dearly, right, and and Lord, it's my prayer uh, that by your Holy Spirit, I would be able to requite that love with love of my own, right, that the the Christian actually does desire to grow in good works, the Christian does desire to mortify their old Adam daily, uh, this is kind of goes hand in hand with the one previous uh, no christian says i 'm so glad i 'm saved now I want to live the, a life that looks absolutely nothing like what Christ has commanded or, or promised or, or done
0: himself that would that 's insane i 'm starting to see a couple things here as as you keep citing hymn tunes first thing i 'm starting to see. Is why you got the position of the director of worship in IC chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing I'm starting to see, right, is that the the hymns that we sing in the church actually have something to do with the doctrine that we confess, what we believe, right? And we're, and we're singing that, and 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 it really does, you know, form our theology in that sense, and, and become very practical also for us.
3: Absolutely. Think of the Christology and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That one struck me this Christmas with all the creedal language in that one. I mean, that's not for this episode, but just along with that point, it's like, wait a minute. I'm saying like half of the Athanasian creed as I sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I never thought of that, but my kids are singing it. And they know the words to it. And most of us have memorized that hymn because it's such a popular one. And you're like confessing the Christological sections of our creeds when you sing that.
0: And being awesome. Using the same language. Awesome (laughs) confessors of it too. And so, I mean, this is my... (laughs) My encouragement, uh, although anyone who fights their pastor on the hymns that he selects, you know, probably isn't listening to the show anyway. But I mean, this is my encouragement to stop fighting your pastor. Like he's he's making you an awesome confessor of the faith <laughs> when he selects the really good hymns of the church. All actually, right. I
3: suppose that hymn does fit this because we've been talking about the two natures in Christ. So it actually is fitting it for does. today's episode. Yeah.
0: So. O- although we have a more specific, it will call that uh, article the the when we cover it uh, the Hark the Herald Angels article. Or, Ooh, there we or, go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else to say on this one? Short? Okay. All right. Paragraph 19, negative theses, number 7. And I have a note written over this, so I can't read it. Hang on. All right. Faith saves on this account because the renewal by faith is begun in us, which dwells in love for God and one's neighbor. That one's sneaky. False. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why is it false?
1: False. <laughs> Well, and it, you're and making again, my job as host really easy. This is really simple. I mean, and and it really is simple, but it's something that's it's very important to remember is that it's it's a simple question of where you're looking to know if you are justified. And what's happening is now we're we're turning the table to say, okay, well, it's it's not the divine nature of Christ dwelling in me. It's not God himself dwelling in me. So it must be something in me that's being changed, right? And this one is saying, "Oh, well, faith is this thing. On this account, because by renewal of faith, something has begun in me, which will develop into what results in saving faith. And so what, again, what I'm, what I'm being taught to do is to look inside of me and look at my life to determine my relationship to God. And that's false. We look to Christ and him alone, right? And faith in his work to apprehend the, the work of salvation. And if someone says, how do you know if you're saved? You, you never say, look at me, look at my life. No, you always say, look at what God has done in Christ. Look at my God saving me through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And And that's what this article is really getting at. Is we, we don't say, well, because I've begun this work of sanctification by the power of God, whatever, that is evidence that I'm really saved. No, even, even as we learn to live in the good works that God has created for us to walk in, even as we do learn to love neighbor and, and serve, we still don't look there to say that's why I'm justified. We always look to Christ. We always look to his work. And so this is this is a negative thesis because faith does not save because of their renewal begun in
0: me. No, it's saved because it grabs onto what Christ has accomplished on the cross. So we're going to push forward because the next one has renewal language too. So this is paragraph 20, negative theses number eight. Faith has the first place in justification, yet renewal and love also belong to our righteousness before God in a particular way. Although renewal and love are not the chief cause of our righteousness, nevertheless, our righteousness before God is not entire or perfect without such love and
2: renewal. Still too much works in salvation. That's what we're saying. Uh, uh, Looking back at paragraph 8, just to read something from the positive state that I help, we we talk about the fact that, look, the words regeneration, renewal of your life, vivification, uh, they're used in place of justify in some places. The Lutherans did it, and the Bible even does it. Uh, and it's done with the same meaning. But in other places, the renewal of a person is understood by these terms and is distinguished from justification through faith. And that's what we're trying to do here, is is put this distinction, some people have said, between justification and sanctification. Or, to use the words that are used here, between the justification which is the declaration of the forgiveness of our sins on account of Christ alone. Yes, the whole person of Christ alone. Um, the renewal that comes from that is not to be considered part of that for the purpose of our justification and salvation Uh, Christ does it all and yes he works great fruits in us that spring from this and that can't be helped but to spring from it but don't make the mistake of looking even even in the slightest bit to those fruits of repentance and faith
0: as if they were the things that made us right before God and pleasing to him. How's the hymn go, thy works, not mine, O Lord? Is that, am I getting that right? That'll do it. I, yeah. yeah, We're saved by works. Whose yeah. works? His works. Right. And, and it can't be any
2: combination of the two. It's got to be one or the other. It's his only.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it's still too much works, but but we got to get the right works. All right. Uh, that's... <laughs> pastor sean denzer who is the director of worship and the chaplain of the ic and uh he's joined our cohort today which also includes layman peter slayton social media manager for the lutheran church missouri senate along with dr kevin Armbrust, director of editorial for the lutheran church missouri senate i'm your host pastor sean smith thanks for stopping by today and until next time if you would like to leave a question or comment for us to convene When we convene for Concord again, you can call us 314-996-1542, email kfo at kfo.org, and social media at KFU Radio. Until next time, keep confessing, church.